We are glad that you are here. And we are super excited about a new series that we are starting today. It'll be through the month of December. And it's entitled, A Fulfilled Christmas. And basically, the essence of what we're going to be doing these next couple weeks is looking at some of the passages, some of the prophecies, some of the foreshadowings, as people call them, of Jesus regarding his coming. And these are in the Old Testament. This is probably a passage many of you know, but it is so important to remember that this book is all about Jesus. It really is. You know, we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We look at all the epistles that were written, and they talk about Jesus. They point to Jesus. But even from the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis, we see clues, glimpses, what I like to call Jesus sightings throughout the whole Old Testament. So Kondo and I will be sharing over the next couple weeks with you to point some of those out because I think it's so critically important to know that this book is not, you know, we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we tend to maybe want to divide them and talk about the Old Testament. Oh, that was just all Israel. Oh, that was like a lot of fighting and wars, and kings had like a thousand wives and all that kind of stuff. But it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. So listen to this. As Jesus had been raised from the dead a couple days, or just a short period of time after that, Jesus meets up with a couple guys who didn't know who he was. And it says in the passage in Luke chapter 24, they were traveling on their way to a town called Emmaus. And they started talking about all the events that had occurred in Jerusalem, how this man had died and he had these followers and all kinds of things were happening. And Jesus says, well, I, I, I'll speak to that. And so here's what we read. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. He, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Look at this. And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Concerning himself. So I want us today through this month as we share together in some of these incredible passages to know the story is about Jesus in this entire book. This morning, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22. I'm so grateful when Kondo talked to me about what we wanted to do. I got to pick this one. That was kind of him because I love this chapter. And there's some powerful things in this chapter, chapter that I want us to see together. A lot of it's about how do you deal with tests and trials in your life, but ultimately, it's a Jesus sighting. We're going to see Jesus in this passage. Genesis chapter 22, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. If not, passage, passages will all be up on the screen. Let's jump in, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, 
Isaac and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. God tests Abraham. God tests his children, you and me. He does. And those tests aren't random. Those tests have a purpose always. You know, one of the things that's important when, you, when we hear tests, because the way that we often use that term, maybe in a school or academic setting or other ways, God does not give you or have you go through your tests for him to find out more about you. He doesn't. You and I go through tests so that we find out more about ourselves. That's how it works. God takes us through tests, and here's often or sometimes the outcome, and it might be a variety of these for all of us. Sometimes God takes us through a test, through a trial. Often that test or trial in our lives will be how much are we trusting him? How much are we walking with him? Are we living our lives uh, trying to live righteously as opposed to living in sin? And we pass the test. And maybe on a few good days with flying colors. Because we're growing and God's doing some exciting things in our lives and areas in our lives that maybe we had been very defeated. We have seen some significant growth. So sometimes tests reveal the good. I want us to know that because we often use that term in such a negative way. Sometimes we'll go through a test and we'll be able to say, huh, I think I'm making a little progress. It's pretty slow, but it's steady. It's continual. And that's a good thing too. Other times we go through a test and it's, oh man, fail big time. God is doing this so that he can get my attention. God is doing this so I will repent of my sin. God is doing this so I will change the whole direction of my life. That's why he brought this into my life. It felt like a blindside. I wasn't really interested in what he had to say until he put me through something that I couldn't avoid. I couldn't ignore. And some of you are living there, aren't you? Some of us are living there maybe right now. God tests his children. James said it this way, count it joy when you encounter various trials, that word is test. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance which leads to godliness. Let me tell you what I believe scripture teaches is always God's ultimate purpose for testing us. And it's not just to inflict pain on our lives. In fact, that's not what it is at all. It's to make us more like Jesus, amen? That is why we go through these things, to make us more like Jesus. So Abraham, it says very explicitly in chapter 22, verse 1, that God was testing him. I just am so reminded as I think about this is sometimes we can think that God gives us tests to make us miserable, I just so want us to understand this morning that that is not the purpose. He doesn't do it to make your life miserable. 
He doesn't do it because he's in a bad mood. That's not why we go through tests. And so you know what the goal is when I'm going through a test? God, please help me learn the lesson right now so I don't have to repeat this test. (laughs) It's no fun to repeat the test, is it? So what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning are several principles about tests interwoven in this as we're going to see Jesus' sightings as I like to call them, throughout this whole chapter. But we're also going to be talking about how God uses tests and trials in our lives. So let me give you principle number one. God's tests are intentional and customized. I really believe that. God's tests are intentional and they are customized. Tests in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, who who we belong to him, and he has a plan and a purpose in our lives, are not random, are not by chance. They're intentional. They're part of God's plan for us. And I think that's really important to know because, I mean, maybe sometimes when we feel incredibly blindsided by a very difficult test or trial in our lives, we can say, God, where were you? God, why'd you let this happen? God why, God, why is this happening to me? I thought you loved me. And we can become really upset with him. But when we believe, and I think scripture teaches, that his tests are intentional. They have a purpose. That helps me view them entirely differently. Not that they're pleasant. They're not. They're often incredibly hard. But God has a purpose. They're intentional. Number two, they're customized. Your tests are customized. What do I mean by that? Well, if tests are about our growth in Christ, then some of the issues that you deal with are not the same issues that I deal with, right? And some of the issues that I deal with are certainly not issues you're dealing with at all. And so God, in his perfect knowledge, we use the word sovereignty, his plan, his purpose for your life, kind of puts his laser on what kind of test do you need at this time? I think that's clear in scripture. And that's why James says, count it all joy. (laughs) Not because it's fun, but because God knows what you need to take you to where he wants you to go. And so that, my friends, if you and I are really able to embrace that and try to understand that and try to make those our lenses that we look through when we look at the hard times, these tests of life, it makes a world of difference. It does. Let's go on, verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then, you see this, we will come back to you. Do you notice it says early the next morning? Think of what God had just said to Abraham. Take your son your son whom you love, your son of the covenant promise and sacrifice him, kill him on an altar. 
early the next morning. Really? Here's a thought. Obedience doesn't procrastinate. I want to make that a t-shirt. I thought of that this week. I got to make this a t-shirt. Obedience doesn't procrastinate. You see, often you and I, we know God is calling us to do something and the excuses flow. Man, we can be so creative with our excuses. We can say, just not good time. I'm not feeling great today. I got a test to study for. I got, you know, fill in the blank. No, no. Obedience doesn't procrastinate if you're all in. Are we all in is the question. I see this in Abraham. Not because Abraham was a superstar. Not that Abraham was sinless or flawless by any means. He wasn't. But because he had walked with God for so long, he had learned to trust God fully. Now, as we think about this, this is a three-day journey, we're told. Three days. 50 miles, if you look at a map, from Beersheba, where... Abraham and his family and Isaac lived to Mount Moriah where he was to go to sacrifice his son. Three-day journey. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about it. I wonder what the conversation was like between Abraham and Isaac. Abraham had been clearly told directly from God, I want you to sacrifice your son. In fact, did you say, see how he refers to Isaac? Your son, your only son whom you love. By the way, that's a Jesus sighting. We'll get, we'll get more down the road with that. I was thinking about how, however old Isaac was. I mean, some say he was a teenager. Some say he might have been in his early 20s by now. But I'm, I'm just imagining Isaac saying, Dad, are you all right? Dad, is something bugging you? Can't you imagine that happening? I mean, if I were Abraham, it's like, if I'm doing this, I'm not talking, I, you know, because I'll just take another path, you know, if I have a chance. Dad, are you okay? Your kids ever do with that, do that with you or your spouse or somebody? You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. No, you're not, Dad. You're not okay. I know you're not. Why do you say that? Because, Dad, your, like, voice is kind of loud, you know, you're a little impatient more than normal, you know? Can you imagine what Abraham was going through during those three days? The agony. Yet he was willing to do it without hesitation, without compromise. Look at verse six with me. Actually, actually, Oh, I did want to share this with you, so I'm going to go ahead because I think it's on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11, because as I thought about this, Scripture does give us a little insight about what Abraham was thinking. Some of you know this, this passage in Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11, verses 19, 17 to 19. It says this, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac 
that your offspring will be reckoned. Now look at this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So here's what's going on in Abraham's mind. We get a glimpse of it, which is really helpful in the book of Hebrews. God asked me, God commanded me to kill my son, to sacrifice my son. Makes no sense whatsoever. But that's what God's commanding me to do. Isaac is the promised son of the covenant. Isaac is the one through whom God will build this great, incredible nation of Israel. But I'm supposed to kill him. And so the insight we get in the book of Hebrews is, then I guess God's going to raise him from the dead. Not, this makes no sense, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I can go there a lot. God, this makes no sense, not doing it. He said, I'm going to be obedient because God can do anything. Wow. Let's continue. This is an incredible story. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Don't you love it when your kids ask you hard questions? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Let me give you my second principle. And that is that biblical biblical obedience requires trust without understanding. (laughs) Biblical obedience requires trust, I could say, without having to understand. This is so hard. Everything regarding the future of the great nation God had promised rest, rested upon Isaac. And yet God said, take his life. You know, trusting without understanding is one of the biggest challenges in life for all of us, isn't it? I mean, isn't that where your brain goes? Something happens or you feel God leading you to do something or even scripture teaches something and it's like, that that won't work. God, that won't work. (laughs) I think he laughs when we say stuff like that. God, that, that can't be right. Oh, really? Well, that won't work. I tried that before. You know, I mean, we begin to go down those paths of either justifying, making excuses, whatever it might be. Trust without having to understand is hard. It is so hard. I mean, when God tells us to do something crazy that feels literally insane, and sometimes he may do that. And yet what we see with Abraham is an unwavering commitment to obey God. It made no sense. 
There's no doubt in my mind that there are some of you here this morning that are going to a, this is crazy, this makes no sense, God, season. My wife and I are. My wife's youngest brother in his late 50s, a model of health in every way, now has brain cancer, had brain surgery, is undergoing chemo and radiation, and he, uh, unless God intervenes, is probably not gonna be alive for a whole lot longer. And if she were here, she'd be bawling, so she was in first service. But it's like, God, don't get it. Don't get it. And some of you are probably living through your, I don't get it, God. Because you and I, here's, here's so much what I do. You prob- many of you probably do this too, is I trust God's word, I do. I study God's word and I see the sovereignty of God, the power of God and the love of God. And sometimes I have no idea how they fit together. I just don't get it. And yes, I believe God has a great purpose and a grand purpose for the world, for, for his kingdom, and he has that for our lives. But sometimes the pieces aren't even close to fitting together. And I think it's probably in our arrogance, it is with me, that I want to get it. I want it to make sense to me. And so often he says, uh, Jeff, now you see in a mirror dimly. <laughs> You're fallen. You're sinful. You live in a world that uh, is fallen, plus... My ways are not always your ways. My thoughts are not always your thoughts. I need you to trust me. And that's where you and I have to go. Sometimes we go there kicking and screaming. But that's where you and I need to go. And so I see this in Abraham's life. He's such a model of obedience without compromise even when I'm sure he didn't get it. Full obedience, not having to understand. I believe that that is going to be a lifelong journey for me because I want to get it. I want to understand, so do you. And yet trust, following God fully, often means we live in the dark as we pursue the God of light who knows all, who loves perfectly. That's a lifelong journey, my friends. It certainly is for me. Well, the passage goes on. Verse nine. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar On the top of the wood, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. There is every indication in this passage that Abraham was ready to go through with this. Every indication. You know that child sacrifice was common among the pagan nations, some of you know this, that it was not uncommon at all in many of the different religions and pagan for to appease a God to sacrifice your child, to kill it as a sacrifice. And that's one of the reasons why 
Scripture is very clear, the law, especially in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20, that says it's an abomination to sacrifice your child. And yet that's what God's asking Abraham to do. I so much want us to understand that often what God seems to be calling us to is so strange and feels so bizarre. And yet God shows up. I am so glad that the passage takes a beautiful turn. You know, this is, this is you know, before I read that, just our third principle, I want you to understand that full surrender to God comes with a price. Full surrender to God comes with a price. Sometimes that price is, Lord, I not only don't understand, I am going to ostracize my entire family if I do that. I'm going to get my parents royally ticked off at me if I do that. Lord, I'm going to have people say I am crazy if I obey you in this area of my life. Full surrender to God comes with a price. It does. Often. And I think the one who epitomized that more than anyone who has ever walked this earth is the one who, on the night he was betrayed, went to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane and was agonizing with the Father, saying, if there be any way that this cup could pass from me. As he thought about not only the physical suffering, but so much more, the wrath of God being poured down upon him for the sins of the entire world, and the separation, the Father would, quote, turn his back on his Son, who prayed, yet, not my will, but yours be done. Full surrender comes with a price. Let's remember that, so true. But again, okay, now, now the good part, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, to Abraham, said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said, Do not do anything to him, for now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Jesus citing. That sounds very reminiscent of our Lord. What happened to him? Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son, So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, which by the way, is the name of God, Jehovah Jireh. Some of you know that name. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I'm so captivated by this phrase. It was in verse two. It's again in verse 12, where God said to Abraham, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Principle number four, 
Great need prompts God's provision. Great need prompts God's provision. Abraham passed his test with flying colors, and God rewarded him. He had been through the crucible. He had been through the fire. He had been through the agony, and God provided a ram, not Isaac, for the sacrifice. You know, I was thinking about this Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, and it caused me to think about what are ways that God provides in the crucible of our trials and our tests and our pain and our grief in our lives. And I thought, hmm, in my life and in the life of so many people I know, it's almost never a fairy tale ending. It's not a poof, everything's now perfect. The way that God often provides, I've seen when people are living in pain and grief and life is really hard, is his Holy Spirit provides, he does, a sense of peace, often a sense of comfort in our lives, he does. God provides people who love us, who want to support us, who sit with us in our pain and cry with us, who hug us. And they are, in essence, kind of the presence, the hands, the feet, the arms of Jesus to us and walk with us through the valley. That's so often, my friends, how God provides. Not everything is just perfect and all better and easy, He provides through the pain, through the valley. But he always will, because that's who he is. What an incredible, hopeful promise that is to us. Well, the chapter ends in such a beautiful way. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not, here we go again, withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together to Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Principle number five, God delights in blessing obedience. God delights in blessing our obedience. He does. He certainly did that with Abraham. Now, did you notice the phrase? She's said a little bit differently, but three times. This is what has so captivated me about this passage. Verse two, take your son, your only son whom you love. Verse 12, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 16, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. What does that sound like? 
It sounds like the Father talking about Jesus. Because you know, Jesus is throughout all the scriptures. And I believe this is a major Jesus sighting in Genesis chapter 22. Some call this a foreshadowing of Christ in this chapter. I agree with that. Some of the centuries referred to this as Abraham being, this is a word some of you know, a type, a type, T-Y-P-E, of God the Father and Isaac being a type of Jesus Christ. A type is defined as a prophetic symbol because all types are representations of something yet future. More specifically, a type in Scripture is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. As I put those lenses on, as I thought about this chapter, I I think I sense to a greater degree than I have ever before in the words of the father to Abraham about his son, your son, the one whom you love, your only son. We could even say your only begotten son. And you just see the love of the father as he's talking about Abraham's love for Isaac. He's referring to his love for his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know, many of us, that for the joy set before him, the father, the son, endured the cross. I love Romans 3, or excuse me, Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. It just says it so beautifully in the New Testament. Paul writes, what then shall we say in response to these things? This is so amazing. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's a promise, my friends. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, this is for you. Whatever the test, whatever the trial, how will he not also, along with giving his own son, freely give us all things? Centuries before the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the manger in Bethlehem, way back in the book of Genesis, God was foreshadowing. God was giving us some Jesus sightings because this book is about him. It's about him. What a a beautiful time of year, (laughs) you know. Oh, the Christmas carols are great. The The lights are great. The presents are awesome. It's about his son. 
It's about his son. So this morning, as we kind of launch this, a fulfilled Christmas, Jesus fulfilled what he did when he came in flesh. My prayer, my hope for each one of us is that we have, or if we haven't, that we would receive his gift. The gift that the Father has bestowed upon us through his Son. And so it is, it is my prayer that we would understand that even when life is difficult and hard, and it is, and even if you're going through one of the most challenging tests of your life right now, and some of you are, that you will remember that you have a Father who loves you deeply and profoundly and that he wants to provide and take you through even the darkest of times. And if you've never received his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to forgive you of your sin, you can do that this morning. So let's pray. And Father, we are so grateful for how your love is shown throughout the entire word of God. Yes, you are a God who hates sin. Yes, you are a holy, holy, holy God. Yes, you are a God sometimes that demonstrates wrath, but ultimately you are a God of great love and mercy and grace. And you have so demonstrated that through giving your son, your son dying in our place. Father, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would believe that. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of what feels like death, maybe even now or next week or next year, whatever, that we would see your power in our lives to sustain us and even more than that, Father, to help us grow in the love and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for my friends here this morning who have not yet trusted Christ. Lord, would your spirit nudge them, prompt them, help them see that Jesus died for them and receive that gift. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a chance to be together. We love you. We want to honor you with our lives. Help us to trust and obey for there's no other way, the psalmist wrote, the hymn writer wrote, to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey even when life is hard. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.